This episode is in honor and in memory of Multipurpose Canine Charlie. Multipurpose Canine Charlie came from Naval Special Warfare Group 1 on the West Coast. I had the honor of being able to work and train with this dog. This dog gave the ultimate sacrifice just a couple weeks ago on a mission in the Middle East. Unfortunately, it was his first and last mission that he was on. Charlie was named after Charles Keating IV. I, in honor of him, named this dog Charlie and later assigned this dog a handler who happened to work with Charles Keating as an operator. So to hear that Charlie made the ultimate sacrifice just as his namesake did is something that took me back but also really drove home the honor of that name. So Charlie, rest easy, fair winds, and following seas. Welcome to Talking Sense, the podcast where we discuss all things detection dogs. Broadcasting from Scent City, Las Vegas, and the Silver State Canine Training Center, your host, Cameron Ford. Hello, welcome to Talking Sense. I'm your host, Cameron Ford. Today's episode is the last in a series of episodes I did while at the Canine CNCA conference in Palm Springs, California. This episode, I have Sergeant Greg Tani, who retired recently. He is also the host of his own podcast, Police Canine Radio. He also owns a company called DTAC, where he trains and imports police dogs. On this episode, we go over a number of different things, but the main theme that you'll get from this episode is advice that he would give to handlers, especially new ones, or the example he gives is if he were to talk to his young self when he first was starting, some of the tips that he wished he had or that he could have given to himself if he traveled back in time kind of thing. So this episode I hope is helpful for those of you that are starting this career, uh, that are new in the profession, and can find some good information and some good tips that he provides. Hope you guys enjoy the episode. Hello, welcome to Talking Sense. I am out here in sunny Palm Springs, California for the CNCA conference. And while I'm out here, I've been doing various interviews. And on this interview, I'm with retired canine sergeant and fellow podcaster of the Police Canine Radio and founder of DTAC, Greg Tawney. Greg, how you doing? I'm good, but I'll be honest with you, Cameron. I, I liked it a lot better when I was on your side of the podcast and I was a- asking questions and not on this side receiving them. So I'm good. Uh, it's an interesting flip here, but uh, we'll push forward and see how it goes. Yeah, it's it's fun to interview people, but when you're the interviewee, you now have the pressures back on you, right? Yeah, now I get to, <laughs> now I get to feel all the anxiety that my guests feel, I think. So, like we mentioned, you had recently retired and you started DTAC. So, give us a little information about that, and uh, this will lead me to some other questions I have for you. Sure. Well, DTAC Canine's been around about three to four years. Um, I've been training for about 25 years, and I've done that under a couple different companies. And basically, we're a training organization in which we have contracts with 16 law enforcement agencies, mainly for their maintenance training, and we train both patrol 
and detections. I have mainly, when I say detection, we have a few firearms detection dogs, mainly narcotics dogs, and a few EOD dogs. So uh, our main focus is maintenance training, so it's kind of a weekly thing. Um, but then we have handler courses, and I've got like an e-collar course coming up, and you know we try to offer specific, um, you know, discipline type classes as we go along. But um, yeah, it's enough to keep me busy in retirement. Well, yeah, that, and then you've also got Police Canine Radio podcast. So, what's ahead for that, and what you have going on? Anything new, exciting coming down the pike for that? So, Cameron, it's interesting. the The whole Police Canine Radio thing, um, it is not intended to be a moneymaker for me. As a matter of fact, and as you, you well know, it, it, it actually costs me money to run that thing. And I've had a number of people come up and go, what are you going to do with that? Like, how, how, are, we, how are you going to make money and that type of thing? And so when you get to my age, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm 52 years old, uh, you start to look at your life and you go, what have I done to improve the industry? What am what is my legacy? What can I leave behind? And I'm not saying that I have all the answers and that I'm going to share my wealth of knowledge with with the world and it's going to be a better place as a result. But I can bring on people that have specialty uh, areas that can come in and they're very good at what they do and share that knowledge and I can facilitate that. And at the same time, uh, selfishly, I've met so many great people in this industry, mm-hmm. and Cameron, you being one of them, uh, I, I knew you before this podcast, and you were very gracious at inviting us out while you were doing your, your training with your SEAL teams, and we got to watch that, and um, I feel like our relationship's grown since then, oh, and, and I feel that you know I get to do this and talk to the top people in the industry mm-hmm. and ask them questions and learn along with our listeners so that's my selfish aspect of it but um you know it's it's been a fun ride so far it's only been uh three months we've been on the air mm-hmm. and i don't know where it's going but uh i'm enjoying it so far so. i i mean you're right being on this platform and being able to connect listeners to people they may not normally get a chance to be around is a new medium and it's growing in popularity. So that's why I felt it was important to create talking sense. So that way people that were focused in detection dog world got to have stuff they could listen to and relate to and, and learn from. So on that, what's something that's a standout moment in police canine radio uh, that maybe a detection dog handler would be like, that's an episode I want to go listen to that's relevant to what I do. What's something that stood out to you in the detection dog side of things on your interviews? So I've, I've got. So I can look at this question two different ways because we talk dog training, mm-hmm. and we talk police tactics and the cop side of it. And a couple of the episodes that stand out to me on the dog training end uh, is Michael Ellis. Yes. Uh, because, hey, I got to talk to Michael Ellis for an hour and ask yeah. him questions I want to know, and so Absolutely. that was thrilling for me because I followed Michael on YouTube for so long and Same actually here. actually talk to the man. I mean, he's a legend in what we do. And so that was exciting from the dog aspect. And anybody that does this for a living or it's involved in training, I mean, the dog end of it is just exhilarating. That's I mean, that's why we got into being a canine handler, partly, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's the cop end of it that we find just as interesting and excitement and doing the critical debrief with Vince Bingaman 
and having him share that personal experience that he went through and the lessons that he learned from it and thinking that, you know what, there might be a cop out there that's listening to that. And if we can do these podcasts and have a ripple effect and deliver this information and we have an influence and whether or not he goes home at night, like that to me is is exhilarating. And so uh, those are the couple that stand out. But man, like every one of them, and I don't want to shortchange anybody, including you, because you, you are an excellent, excellent guest. But I, I, I mean, all the all the podcasts that we've done, there's always been like a highlight and and something that I get from it. And um, you know, sometimes it's I've already heard the person, and you know, like like for example, for, with you, Cameron, like we've talked for hours prior sure. to the podcast. So I was excited to bring you on and share all that information with all these other listeners. So. Um, so I think every one of them is an individual podcast, and you know it's uh you know we 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 try to do the banter back and forth and try to make it entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's an evolution with this thing. Absolutely, and, and you're right. I mean, no matter what the episode is, people or listeners can take something from that, and they're going to in some way relate. Some may not relate, but it's always good. And again, that's what's so great about a podcast is it gives you the ability to hear from people or individuals based on their experiences that you may not come in contact with in your normal training aspect. So having that luck of having the podcast and being able to interview people and then throughout your years of experience. So go ahead and tell me what made you create your podcast, Please Canine Radio. Well, the catalyst for this thing is I think back when I first started as a cop in 96 I got hired in a small town in the Delta in Northern California and I had a chief that was very pro-canine, which was great. And one of the reasons I went to that agency, because in all honesty, I became a cop so I could work a dog. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think in the big scheme of things, I was better at working a dog than, than being a cop if I want to do it in my own self-evaluation. But I started out at this, this small town in the Delta and I had a dog within a year. And during that time... When I started, I was so ill-prepared to hit the streets. I had no idea what I was doing. I passed the state standards, and I could tell my dog to release, and he would release, but I didn't know how to be a cop. I'm one year into this thing, and now I'm responsible for this dog, and I think it's by the grace of God that I didn't get myself into a situation where I got killed out there. So I think about... You know, the young Greg Tawney, 22 years ago, just starting out in this profession. And I'm trying to reach out to that same guy somewhere in the country. And I know there are guys out there like that. A couple years on, just starting out, uh, they don't have a lot of money to go to conferences. They might not have a lot of money to train regularly. Or they're within a training group that's just doing you know, certification type training and they're not working tactics and they really haven't figured out how to fit the dog into the job. And I'm trying to reach out to those guys and gals, our brothers and sisters, and provide them with information that's going to help them at the end of the day accomplish their goal, go home safe, and not make some of the mistakes I made early on. And so that really is the whole intent of this podcast. And a lot of people you know, obviously, as times have changed, we we didn't have these resources available to us when we were handlers. And to be able to reach out to do exactly what you're talking about helps make a big difference 
or those handlers that are looking for information that are motivated in seeking things to be able to have something like this to go look at or go listen to makes a big difference and gives you some guidance when you kind of out there struggling looking for information. So as you have been doing this, what are some of the good things that you've seen evolve or change in the police canine world as it relates to detection dogs? When I did my interview with Michael, Michael Ellis, I call him Michael now mm-hmm. because That's I, good. Yeah. I had an hour conversation with him over, <laughs> over a podcast, so we're tight. Now, when I spoke to Michael Ellis, he mentioned that he felt like this is a, a renaissance period for dog training. Completely agree. And I think that carries over to the detection world as well. And in go, I've been going to conferences for the last 20 years. And it hasn't been until really the last three or four years, maybe five years, that I have seen these techniques that are coming out. And it really stemmed from our understanding of dogs and in canine cognition, mm-hmm. that now we're starting to apply all these things you know, to our dog training and detection is no different. It comes down to communicating with our dogs, you know, understanding their abilities, uh, just understanding their behavior better, and now developing techniques and training to address those. So it's, it's an exciting time to be in training. It, it really, it, you hit the nail on the head. There is absolutely a renaissance that's occurring in the dog world, especially the detection dog world. So let me ask you the inverse of that question. What is something that you're seeing that may scare you or cause you concern when it comes to detection dogs and what's happening out there? Well, Cameron, here's one of the issues that I'm seeing, and I might be a part of the problem. And by that, I mean, there's so much information now available out there. So we have podcasting, we have YouTube, we have Instagram. Mm -hmm. Uh, Facebook's been out there for a while, but there's been a lot of like videos and things like that that are available and i think the i think what we have to be careful of is when this information is out there typically you'll see a little snippet say a minute of video and i feel like handlers are out there and they're trying to now take from that minute and apply certain things to training without understanding the foundation and what was behind that and I'll tell you, on my end, you know, you talk about some challenges with the, the podcasting. On my end, I put out information and I sit up there and Tim and I, you know, we'll ramble for, for a half hour about a certain topic and we'll talk about, you know, patrol or detection or something. And I'll, I'll make a statement and I don't mean it to be all inclusive. Like yeah. one of the things I mentioned was double blind testing. Sure. And double and being out of the room when the handler's searching and, you know, not being involved in the search and having the handler stay back and let the dog discover on their own. And that's a part of what we do. But I understand that we need a trainer in the room and, mm-hmm. you know, we can't just be kicking guys in the room and say, go for it and expect our dog's behaviors to be maintained that way. And conversely, we need handlers involved in the search and there's times where you're going to need to get in there and you're going to need to present but when you're sitting there and you're having a conversation on the podcast sometimes you're not all inclusive in your thoughts or things are misinterpreted or they come out not the way and now people can potentially go and run with certain things so long way around a a short explanation is I, i think we need to be careful of the information that we're gathering and what we're seeing and hearing out there and really 
vet the information and have a true understanding of everything that's behind what we're hearing and making sure that it's solid and it fits into our training programs. Everybody trains dogs a little bit differently and some things that I do might not fit into other training schemes. So um, I'm really enjoying the amount of information that's out there. I think it's just extrapolating how we're going to apply all this information. This episode is brought to you by HITS. HITS is the nation's largest police canine training seminar and symposium. This year, it'll be August 13th through the 17th in Chicago. Go to www.hits.net to find out more information. I'll just tell you, going there for the past numerous years, HITS is the premier location to go to. You get handlers and trainers from all over the world. You have well over 100 vendors. If you're looking for dogs or equipment or whatever, they have it there. Believe me, there's all kinds of things to go check out. If you're looking for cutting-edge, important, related information by any number of amazing instructors, HITS has them. You go there, you go to classes, you handpick what you like, you attend those classes. It gives you great flexibility. That way you're not kind of just forced into different classes. You get to pick what you want, go to those classes, get great information, and also get to hang out and meet and and spend time with the instructors one-on-one at any number of the different social events they have going on each night. So go to www.hits.net. Go check out Police Canine Radio. As you guys are hearing on this episode, Greg Tawney is actually one of the hosts of Police Canine Radio. They cover any number of canine-related topics. So when you get a free chance, go to any number of your different podcast download sites and look up Police Canine Radio. Check them out. Give them a listen. Hope you guys enjoy the any number of great episodes they have on their channel. No, and I totally agree. I, I have learned myself, and we had a fun conversation this morning with Andy Wyman, who I know you guys will be interviewing in the future, and we discussed what happens. You know, people, you know, instructors like us will go in there and teach a topic, and we have our bullet points of the things that we're going to cover, and we have a two-hour block or whatever, or through social media, we have a set amount of time to get a specific point across, and that's what it is. It's a point. There's many other things that happen or are going on that people don't get to see or we don't get to explain because we're limited by the time. So you're right. You know, As people that take in the content, your goal is to do, like you said, vet it and make sure you have a good, complete understanding of not just the topic but what comes before and what comes after. Those are big things in understanding because working a detection dog, you're say you're focusing on the marker or the world that I teach, people get highly – focused on that and realize, oh, well, that means I don't have to do anything with a dog anymore. I'm just going to stand here and let the dog work. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case. We have to be involved. You're still going to do your things like present and you know detail when needed and so forth. It's not completely independent, but you're right. You know, It is kind of scary at times because content is so readily available is to make sure people have a good understanding of what it is they're viewing or what it is they're watching and what they take from it and what they apply to their actual training. So um, another good question I had was, what is something you brought up a second ago? What is some advice you would give somebody who has only been a handler for a year or two? We kind of covered this in the previous question, but what's something you could think of that would be that reminded you of you when you were out there first starting that you would say, hey, the young Greg at a year or so or working a dog, what's some advice that you would give somebody? Well, Cameron, I can tell you firsthand uh, if there's a mistake in detection – 
I've made it over 20 years. So I've had the pleasure of working four different dogs in detection, and I can tell you I've made different mistakes with, with each and every one of them. And even now, coming to these conferences, I'm still learning of things that I screwed up that I didn't even know I screwed up in the past. But looking back at, at, a, at a young young Greg, I would say there's, there's a couple things that I think new, newer handlers make mistakes on. Uh, number one is, and we talked about it earlier, is being way too involved in everything early on. And you do need to be involved. And I understand that there needs to be a certain amount of cueing. You get, need to get the dog to be able to follow your hand and trust where you're presenting. But at the same time, you need to understand when you need to back off and let the dog work. I think early on, I was way too focused in getting into our training searches and finding all the aids. I think, and this is a, a concept I think a lot of handlers have issues with. I may put four aids into a search and every handler wants to walk in and make sure their dog finds and indicates on every aid. And I think it's important that when you're working your dog and you're doing a search and say you're, you go by an area and your dog just misses the aid and keeps going, I think that's okay. I think we need to understand that we don't always know what odor's doing. And too often, I see handlers go, okay, that's everything in the room. And then I go, okay, good, put your dog up. Mm -hmm. And they didn't find everything. Yep. And then they'll watch another couple dogs go. And then there's another dog that does find this aid that they missed. And they get a little bit wound up about that. Like, well, hey, my dog didn't find that. I go, I know. I said, in order to make that fine, you would have had to get way too involved in presenting that aid. And for the betterment of your dog and our overall goals, it wasn't worth it to me for you to get that involved to make that find. So I elected that you didn't make that find. And guys have a hard time wrapping their head around that. And I think you need to just remember the overall goal is I want my dog to come into a room. I like them to search independently. Uh, at some point, I need to get involved, and I want my presentations to be suggestions. And if they're following me and they have good scent identification, they know odor, then I'm just maintaining that. And I'm not going to sacrifice that for one find that maybe is in the corner. And for me to get my dog's nose there, I've got to basically kind of trap him into the corner and get around him and, yep. and, and sit and oh, I'm cueing him. So yep. no one to walk away, I guess, mm -hmm. would be the, 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 the term on that is, yeah, your dog didn't find it, but that's okay. Yep. It, it has nothing to do with you or how you worked him. And it would have been counterproductive for me to have you get in there and try to make that find. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. One of the common things that I, I always see is just kind of what you said, they will place out a number of hides in the search area with that goal to hit the little tick marks of, okay, I've hit cocaine, I've hit meth, I've hit heroin, and so forth, or in the bomb world, the corresponding odors. But there is value to the concept of less is more. Get in there, find one or two, be done, get to have a productive training session mm -hmm. versus trying to force the issue and having multiple finds or if you are there is a struggling point going on know when to call it like you said reevaluate maybe give the dog a break and then reestablish a search again later on again this is training you're able to make adjustments to address certain problems and to make 
get the most out of your training. And then these are things I would say are the, some of the common things that we see uh, when a new canine team is out there because, again, they're looking at their checklist. They're trying to uh, establish, okay, I've done this in my, my four hours of this week of training. Um, so, again, it's it's a common thing. It's not a big deal. But if you break your training into smaller segments, focusing on getting the most productivity out of it, you're going to have a good bleed over into your street work and what you're going to see on the street. And that leads to something that you know I had talked about the other day, which was um, – and, and sometimes a comment becomes controversial because there's other ways of people, how they address it. And this one's going to be – you know, you had made the comment on one of your podcasts about, well, I don't reward on the street. And in some cases, people are going to go, what do you mean you don't reward on the street? If you rewarded on the street, that at least means if you want the courts to understand that you trust your dog, why wouldn't you reward on the street? So the dogs, you know, you're validating. Yes, I trust my dog. This is the, the dog responded. There's something here. Explain why you don't. You and I had this conversation, and there is very legitimate reasons to. You're still going to reward on the street, but there's a variant to this. So go ahead, and you know, it gives you a chance to kind of expand upon what you initially talked about in your cast. Sure, doing a little rehab on my end. <laughs> and again, when when we're we're talking and we're we're rapping and we're going down the list of things. You know, maybe I don't articulate or, you know, the person that you're hearing isn't articulating everything or encompassing the, the whole the whole thought behind things. But um, I'm a very big proponent when it comes to detection. It's perfect practice makes perfect. And so when we're out there searching on the street and my dog shows the change of behavior and the final, myself personally, I have a hard time delivering that toy until I have confirmed that that is a legitimate find. And let me give you an example of something that actually happened after I made this comment. I was speaking with a handler that, that wasn't in our training group. And he goes, I've got a problem. I go, what's your problem? And this is a handler in California. He goes, I have inadvertently imprinted marijuana in my dog. And now he's mm-hmm. alerting on marijuana. And I go, interesting. I was like, how, how did you do that? How did you inadvertently, yeah. you know, how does that happen? How does that happen? You're not training marijuana. He goes, well, all my fines on the street, I pay my dog and I look back in, in my fines and every time he found meth, Coke or heroin, there's always been weed along with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and you talked about this a little bit, Cameron, about certain odors having more value than other odors. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to talk about that for a second? Sure. I mean, one of the things you know, science is telling us is when you combine odors in initial imprint, imprint training, there are going to be substances that stand out stronger in comparison to the other ones. So, dogs will still pick up each different odor in the cocktail method. However, there is going to be a chemical substance that is stronger or overpowering the other ones. So you are creating, through your reinforcement as you play this game, the dogs are focusing on the stronger one the most. They still get it, but when you separate, they have a tendency to focus even better on that chemical substance that was the strongest. They still will acknowledge the other ones, but you're going to see a distinct difference. And in in how the brain reacts to that, that stronger odor is always going to have that stronger presence. So what you're bringing up is when that individual is on the street 
and inadvertently through the reinforcer when they rewarded on the street when that other narcotic was mixed in with that marijuana the marijuana putting out or producing more odor created value there that he obviously did not intend at that time so you know as you and I had talked about this with um, rewarding on the street those of us that use marker training and variable reward training when the dog responds we still give the marker the dog's behavior was right I don't necessarily, especially with variable reward schedule, have to follow that up with a high-value reinforcer at that time, allowing the officer to, once they have that alert, conduct the investigation, once whatever the dog alerted to is located and found, you are able to not necessarily have as much impact when it comes to if you had primarily reinforced on the street. You could said if you had that marker, you the dog still knows it's right but you're not necessarily adding that high value reward in conjunction with that unknown substance that you don't even know is there when you've done that real world search. Yeah, and I think we start talking about dogs and handlers that may have a lot of experience and they know their dog and their dog is proven on the street and he's doing really well and he's worked through all kinds of distractions. I'd be a little more confident paying that dog mm-hmm. uh, versus a dog that's brand new to the street. And we try to recreate a lot of distractors and training and this and that. But, you know, until you go to a tweaker house, there's odors there that, you know, you've never seen and you don't want to see. Trust me, there's we, we search some really crappy places. And so you put a dog in those environments and it's hard to recreate those those types of environments and training, especially during a basic handler course. And I got a brand new handler. I'm going to be less apt to pay that dog until we've confirmed that that is the actual odor. And it goes back to that, you know, to imprint an odor, as we all know, it does not take much to pay. Mm -hmm. But going back to that handler, and I was talking to Andy Wyman about this, if you guys wind up developing a training problem on the street, so, okay, marijuana has now inadvertently been imprinted into this dog. Mm -hmm. That is fine. Just go ahead. You can document that. But you just need to document your course of action, how you're going to do some extinction training to get rid of that odor. And then I would periodically be bringing that odor into my searches just to continue to document that it's completely extinct from his you know, list of, of de- odors that he's you know, acquired in detection. So too often I think we freak out about something like that. It's not that big a deal. Your dog is not expected to be perfect. And no, nothing in nature, and, and Cameron, as you said earlier, nothing in science is perfect. So document, document your dog's shortfalls, but then show the plan of how you've now you know, made things right and show the progression. And then check back in with it every now and again. It's not a big deal. And I think you're going to do much better in court if you're honest and forthright about those shortfalls and showing that you've addressed them and moved on. Yeah, no, and... And like we said, we, we there's nothing wrong with doing the cocktail or stew method in the sense, you know, what people are doing. We're not saying that that's incorrect. What we are saying, though, is science is enlightening us on um, various aspects that come from all different forms of detection training to include that and what dogs take in when it comes to odor. So it's valid for training and as well as it's valid for when you're doing stuff on the street, just like we talked about the instance where that handler inadvertently you know, reinforced a secondary odor there that had and became a high value target stimulus in that case.
This episode is brought to you by Silver State Canine. Silver State Canine is the industry-leading canine training and research center. Here at Silver State Canine, we offer classes for those who are wanting to become canine handlers. Are you also a canine handler, but you need to become a canine trainer? We have classes for you as well. Those of you that teach obedience or in some type of pet training and you want to add nose or scent work training to your clientele, we offer our one-week courses where you come to our facility and learn the intro to nose and scent work. Silver State Canine has any number of other seminars available. Please visit our website at www.silverstatek9.com. That's www.silverstatek9.com. So as we talked about this, here's a great follow-on question. How have you seen science and psychology become more prominent in the detection dog world? And people are probably hearing the laughing and stuff in the background. Just so you guys know, like I said, we are live here in CNCA. So uh, bear with the uh, entertaining background noise that we have. Yeah, and I'll I'll go one step further just to paint the picture. So Cameron, Cameron and I are sitting <laughs> out on a golf course watching geese cavort and guys sitting here making putts with the yeah, mountains in the, the background yeah and the ducks walking by a second ago <laughs> it's like 70 degrees so yeah. those of you in the in chicago right now or the midwest or back east you know it's it's if you have an opportunity next year you might want to put in a training request to come out here to, to palm springs and no cnca kidding. because the resort and everything's just been awesome but anyway we're talking dogs yep. um so the science of psychology becoming more prominent in the detection dog world, what are some of the ways that you've seen that happen? I think we as an industry, and I say we, and I mean law enforcement in general, we've always been pretty closed off as I think back over the last 22 years. And I think it's been more recently that we've opened up and we're talking to guys that are doing sport dogs and we're taking things from different different areas and I think science is no different I think now we're tapping into science and, and Cameron you're much more of an expert than I in this area with your research that you know with Duke University and the things that you, you're doing now with K9 cognition and I'm really interested to see where all of that takes us but I think without a doubt I've seen a big influence I think I brought up the Dr. Lisa Litt study on, yep. on my podcast and had Dr. Litt on and the first reaction when she put that study out, and I think it's been eight years now, uh, I was at a conference, and the first reaction to her study, in, in scientific study, and you can look it up, she was with UC Davis, um, the very first reaction was, let's discredit her and let's attack her study. And I remember sitting in a class and they said, Hey, uh, here's this study. Is Dr. Lisa Litt? She's going to be testifying for the dark side, and we're going to go ahead and go through this study. And first off, it was done in a church, <laughs> and you know what that means. Uh-huh. And I went, well, I, I know a lot of things go on in church, and you know, I I didn't want to go down that path, but I go, what, what what's going on at, at churches? Well, they have Narcotics Anonymous meetings at church, so who's to say? that that week somebody didn't go in with narcotics in their pocket and sit somewhere in the in the pews or in the chairs and contaminate that area and that's why you're getting you know a couple hundred false indications or let me let me 
rephrase that. That's why handlers were calling false alerts uh, in the search area. And I was thinking to myself, I'm like, man, are we an industry in denial? Because here's a scientific study. (laughs) And I get if a couple dogs went in and, and guys called alerts that weren't there, but we had 100 and I can't remember the exact number. I think it was like 175 called alerts on eight different searches with uh, 16 different handlers. And there was one dog that went through and ran it clean. And I was like, this is, this is, uh, you know, we are closed off, I think, as an industry at that time. I think we've made strides in that area. And it's like guys like you, you know, coming in with, with scientific studies backing our training. And I think that makes us stronger. It's like, hey, if there's an issue, let's talk about it. And obviously, if you know that study, there was a huge issue, and it was handlers queuing their dogs, in my opinion. And that's one of the reasons why I don't like my handlers knowing where the, the aids are because we have a tendency. Or if you do know where the aids are, you got to be super careful in your handling because dogs will read us, obviously. I mean, we all know that. So I think we're, as an industry, it's exciting because we're now bringing science in and we're embracing it. And I think we're a little more secure in opening them up opening up and being a little bit more vulnerable in our training and go hey am i doing things right and is science backing this up because if not i need to change it and as you know cameron there's been over the last 30 years probably the first you know training in the 70s 80s and and some of the 90s training organizations were completely closed off we didn't want to share any information with each other didn't want to share any information with the public. We do it this way because I was taught this way, and we really didn't understand anything about the behavior aspect or science behind it. And I see that changing, and that's why it's an exciting time. I'm glad I'm, I'm alive and I'm around during this area. No, it, there's been a significant evolution, like you said, just not just with science but with the willingness of our industry to say, okay, let's reflect on what we're doing. Can we do it better? And by being open-minded, we've allowed science to help us get there because in every other form of animal training out there, science and psychology is a very common tool that's used to make training or communication to the animals much better. It's coming around to our world. We're using it, and then we're also also being evaluated legally uh, as a way to say, okay, science can prove this or disprove that. And we have to make adjustments to meet a more scientific standard versus the craft method that we used to be, which was, hey, this trainer who's been around for 20 years does it this way. So now I have to do it that way as well. So you're right. You know, earlier you said we're in a renaissance period um, and we are. And I encourage the handlers that are listening to continue listening to the all these different episodes we have upcoming with various scientific experts as well as legal experts as well as other fellow dog people that have been doing it 10, 15, 20 years that are going to attest to what's going on. So with that, I wanted to greatly thank you for your time and your input on being on here. Um, We will be continuing these conversations, like I said, with other guys that have been out uh, recently retired or on their 10th or 15th year we want our listeners that are out there working dogs and those that are obviously in this uh, sport dog world to understand how to better communicate and how we best talk sense to our dogs. So, like I said, I thank you for your time and your input. 
How can people reach out to you? What's the best way? I know you've been working on your social media game, getting that better, as am I. So we've both been collaborating, going, hey, how do you do this? How do you do that? So how do people get a hold of you? How do they follow you? That kind of good stuff. Man, my social media game is weak. I'll, I'll be the first to admit it. And I'm, like you said, Cameron, I'm really trying to up it. Uh, but I'm, I'm just not that guy. But I'm, I'm working on it. But uh, I've got Instagram. And that is DTAC, K9, D-T-A-C-K, the number nine on Instagram. Same with Facebook. Uh, I've got a website, obviously, DTACK9.com. And people can reach out to me at trainers at DTACK9.com. And that's about it. I'm, I'm going to get better. I promise I'm going to at least, I'm shooting for two posts a week on my Instagram. And I talk to all these guys that do it regularly. And they're like, man, you got to stay relevant. You got to get out there every day. And I'm just not there yet, but, but slowly getting there. No, I, I feel the pain. I know it. I'm, I'm in the same boat myself. So, and, and for those listeners that are hearing some of the training advice and some of the things that we're going over, there is also going to be our YouTube channel or those that follow me at Silver State Canine on Instagram. There's also going to be, or is the uh, Silver State Canine YouTube channel where I'm going to take some of the topics that we're talking about and it's hard to understand listening to on a radio, you will get a visual uh, application where you can go to and view this and collaborate, ask questions and that stuff. I also highly encourage any of our listeners, as you listen to a podcast, please email me your questions, your comments. You can do so at Ford at SilverStateK, the number nine dot com. Or like I said, Instagram at Cameron Ford K9 or at Silver State K9. I hope you guys got some good information. This is, again, all about creating conversation, creating discussion. You know, what can we do better versus being stagnant? And then, like I said, keep talking sense. It's okay to be nosy. That concludes our episode with Greg Tani. Like I said, I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you guys got some good information from it or at least some good advice that you can apply to uh, what you currently do working a dog and especially this career field as a detection dog handler. Our next episode will have Mallory DeChant from the Canine Olfaction Laboratory at Texas Tech University. She's going to go into uh, some of the current research that she's doing, some of the past research she has done, and we'll go over some actual good detector dog uh, training information. So, please, any, all comments, questions, suggestions, I'd love to hear from you guys. Please visit my website, www.silverstateknumber9.com. That's www.silverstateknumber9.com. Send me an email, Ford, F-O-R-D, at silverstateknumber9.com. Thanks again for listening. And hope you guys download our upcoming episodes. Thanks.